You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast. Uh, super excited to announce another awesome guest. Listen, last week I said Versteeg was my favorite. I think I think this guy just upped Versteeg in my favorite category of all-time guests, Matt we'll Stajan. We'll have to have them come on and do a battle royale for our affections. 100%. All right, so today's guest... Um, you all know him as the series clinching goal scorer in game six versus Vancouver. Uh, what year was that? 2015. 2015. Um, well, let's go over his, the timeline of Matt Stajan's career because we, we kind of touch on it a few times in the podcast. We, it's been a while probably for everybody, um, but we should go through it. Um, drafted to the Toronto Maple Leafs. In 2002. Second, Second round, 57th overall. As he mentioned, uh, Steen was the first round pick for the Leafs. Matt Stajan was the second. Um, but a guy coming out of having success in, in junior, playing for his hometown crowd in in Toronto. Then, yeah, so six seasons with the Leafs. He was putting up good numbers. Well, he had 40 assists in 2008, 2009. 40, 4-0. It's like, you know, you, you – and he mentioned this a few times. You can't just look at the numbers, and I get that, but it's hard not to when you want to kind of – and it's not like the numbers really lie. Like, I remember when when the trade happened, the FNIF trade, I was yeah. stoked. Like, I was like, oh, shit, we're getting staging? Fuck yeah. Because And I didn't follow the Leafs too closely, but yeah. from what I could see watching highlights and following the leagues as much as you do in the West, um, the guy was a goal scorer. I thought he was going to be putting up points, and then – he alluded to it a bit coming to Calgary. His role diminished slowly over time, but he didn't really have a lot of you know point production success success in Calgary until Hartley came around. Well, it was weird because like again, everybody remembers that trade as like an absolute clusterfuck. Yeah, right? like it was just like, wait, what? We're just getting all this stuff for Dion. What the hell is going on? This is so weird. So when he came to town, there was already this expectation of like, well, this this kid better be, you know, like he better be the answer at center because that's all you'd ever heard prior to the FNUF trade is like, well, we're going to trade him for a number one center if we, when, if, and when we trade him. So him being the main piece in that deal automatically put tons of pressure. He's coming off a season where he put up 40 assists and now he's, I think everyone in the world was expecting him to just slide in with a Ginla and Tangay at the time. Well, he was, he was third on the Leafs in scoring that year that he got traded. Yeah. Like he and was he, having a good year. He had, he had what, in total 19 goals? With the Leafs, he had 16 goals. So he had 41 points in 55 games. Yeah. And three with the Flames. So he had 19 yeah. goals that year. So, like, you can see his drop off from scoring 16 in 55 to 
with Toronto that year to three and 27 with the flames. As soon as he got traded, he started to struggle. Right. And I mean, most of us remember that time. If you, if you don't like when he got here, Brent Sutter was the coach. And I remember being pissed because Brent Sutter did not utilize him properly. Like he, like he said, he never got power play time. He played a little bit with Jerome and Tangay that first year. But like after that, he was like demoted to the fourth line. Like the next year, the, I think the 20, 2010, 2011 year, he played the whole year with Costopoulos and Tim Jackman yeah. on the fourth line. And his point totals reflect that he had three goals the next year or no six goals. So like it, I remember it being a frustrating time. I can only imagine it for him. He seems to have a pretty good perspective and attitude on it. I remember being pissed that I was like, well, yeah. we've got this guy we traded Dion for. Why isn't he playing on the top line? You'll hear in the interview. It's kind of like not obviously their Stieg is different because he's winning cups in his first seasons, but yeah. Um, for for stage and for Stieg, they came out of the gate just like almost like rock stars right away. Um, and like, you know, Stage and scoring 15 goals his first season as a leave, 15, 15 goals the next season. And then he, he started to plateau a bit. You kind of expect, you know, as he progresses to, to increase his point totals. But like he said, he's a two-way player. His role is a little bit different. But then after six seasons with the Leafs, after the trade with, with for the fun of trade to Calgary, man, like that was – and the team as a whole, we mentioned it, so hard to watch. Yeah. Um, very frustrating from a night to night basis. Just just not easy, I'm sure, for him and for the rest of the team playing. Well, and the other thing is, too, is like he was getting cru- like that's kind of weird. If you're a younger fan, you don't really remember the the anything but like great things about Matt Stage, right? Being a good guy, scoring that goal, being one of the fan favorites. Like, honestly, prior to that 2014 15 season, he was probably one of the most hated. I think that's fair to say, right? Like the fan base and the media was so upset with this guy and blamed him for a lot of the team shortcomings. And it was like, Oh, we traded for for this guy who is a fourth line plug. Right. I would say, I think it's probably fair to say prior to TJ Brody being the whipping boy of Calgary, it was Matt, Matt Stajan. Why are all these whipping boys, good players? (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's backwards. Yeah. (laughs) But good. Well, I was just going to say like, again, like you don't, a lot of people don't remember how hard of a time it was like, like seriously, like for real, if you go back and you, you took a, 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 a litmus test of the fan base and the media, like he was one of the least fan favorites and easily the whipping boy for the media. It was, it was not, it was not an easy time for him, I'm sure. And I remember being annoyed at that because like back when TJ Brody was getting criticized so much, I was like, this guy is good. His underlying numbers are mostly good. He should be utilized better. Why is everyone giving him shit? So I'm sure it was infuriating for him. Yeah. And then obviously that 2014, 15 season, was that Johnny Joe's first season? I think it was. Yeah. So 14, 15. Yeah. So we touch on it in the podcast. Finally, they make the playoffs again. Fans are Going crazy. We beat Vancouver in the first round. Um, and he scores the series clinching goal. Like, as I mentioned, regardless of anything and everything, th- like, this is how I remember the guy. Just yeah. an all-out beauty. Scored that. I honestly, I, I even looking back to it now, I can't be more ha- – would you rather anybody else on the team no. score that goal than Matt Stajan? Right. Like, well, you know he's such a beauty. He's such a yeah. good guy. Like, totally deserve that. Well, and I we didn't mention it, but the the shootout or the uh, penalty shot goal he scored shortly after losing his kid, 
was a, that was that, I think that was the year previous, maybe. And then that goal, like, yeah. I mean, like I said, I tried to explain it to him without fanboying. I didn't do a very good job. It was like when that puck was sitting there and staging is just about to bury it into the top corner and he scores. And it's like, you felt it was so cathartic for like the fan yeah. base who've been there. It's like all this shit he had been through and he scores this goal. It was like, it was the perfect moment. It was, yeah, yeah. It was great. It's a good way to put it. Okay, so without further ado, enjoy this guest. Uh, here's Matt Stage. How's retirement going? Good, good. Yeah. Just uh, I think I uh, retired at a, at a good time with everything that's that's going on in our world. So, um, you know, I think it's an adjustment for for any hockey player when it's all you know your whole life but uh yeah things are good um you know family's growing and um spending lots of time at home you guys live in calgary i i'm just curious i, I it's kind of funny looking back it's like wow you spent so many years with the flames at what point were you like yeah i think calgary is going to be our home um you remember say, you know what i'd say probably once we started having kids here, yeah, um, that's probably uh, that's probably when it, you really shifted and it really starts to feel like home when you have your kids born in the city. Um, so I'd say probably like yeah, 20, 2014-ish. We uh, well, we were we were living here um, in the summers. We started in twenty fourteen. Um, we used to go home in the summers to well where we grew up in, in Ontario, um, but then we just started staying here year round in like 2014. So I'd say that's when it really became uh, a mainstay and, and it's our home now. It's uh, when we leave here, we uh, we're, we're missing, we're missing home and we always come back here. So uh, yeah, we could be here for the long haul. Cool. Um, it's always nice getting to see the, the player perspectives. You've been doing the intermission kind of uh, talks between the home games. Uh, so, and are you getting your, your, going to be on Sportsnet or something like that? Like, where, where are you at now with, with the second phase of your career? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I think the the media side and doing some stuff at intermissions, um, you know, it kind of keeps you involved and on top of things with, with uh, the trends of the game and what's going on, even though I'm pretty uh, – you know, I'm not that far out of the game, um, but it keeps you involved. And, uh, you know, just kind of see what I want to do next. If it's, if I want to get into, you know, coaching or player development or, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different options, um, but, yeah. um, you know, watching, watching the games, I'm going to watch anyways. My buddies are on the team. If I could, you know, sit and uh, analyze what they're doing chirp them and have fun with it uh you know it's it's yeah. a bonus and, and and i've enjoyed it to tell you the truth it's been uh it's been great for for the few times i've done it and it gives me a lot of time to, to still coach my my kids five-year-old team and not be you know full-time doing something you'll take any chance yeah. to rip geo eh <laughs> blown coverage yeah, by geo on. <laughs> on this play <laughs> yeah i've tried to i've tried to be pretty uh pretty good um you know, but that that's the that's the line, right? If you want to really um, embrace and, and maybe have a, a long term and be really good in the media uh, at analyzing, you, you you're gonna have to 
cross that line at some point where, you know, your friends are in the game. So I've been trying to, to, you know, stay on that line. I'm pretty, pretty pro pro flames guys, but uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, if you're honest and, and you just, you tell it like you see it, you know, usually that's, that's uh, there's no arguing with that. Well, well, we have a lot of reminiscing to get through, but first um, let's, let's take a look at where your career started. You had like really good numbers in junior um, and then you were drafted by your hometown. Um, obviously, maybe it's a cliche question, but how surreal was that getting drafted by the Maple Leafs, um, the team you probably grew up idolizing, I'm assuming? Yeah, that was uh, – it was crazy, to tell you the truth. I um, Going into that draft, the draft was in Toronto too. So um, I had a lot of family. Yeah, I had a lot of family and friends at the draft. Um, and you go through the whole draft – combine and um you know you, you meet with teams and um you know and I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I, I I didn't have I didn't get invited to the prospect game um that year um and, and you know so I was kind of you know I was playing with a chip on my shoulder and through the year I, I kept climbing the, the rankings and I actually ended up having the most points of any draft eligible player, including Rick Nash, who went first overall. So I had a really good year and I was rated like 18th in North America. So I slipped a bit to on draft day to the second round, which was kind of nerve wracking. Um, but it, it ended up being unbelievable because I went to the Leafs and, um, and they were not on my radar because they were not one of the teams that I met with. And I met with like 16, 17 teams, um, you know, at that draft combine. So it was uh, it was a special day with full of surprises, and you know I got to share it with uh, with everybody. Um, and growing up, uh, you know my family's you know from Toronto, a huge Leaf fan, so it was uh, it was pretty special for for everybody and to experience it the way I did. That's so cool. And you actually you played a game with the Leafs that season, didn't you? As a as a junior, still. Yeah. So. So the following season I did. Um, okay. But because, but, but because I was a, you know, cause the draft was in June, end of June. Um, and then I went back, played junior. And then at the end of my junior year, that junior year, I got called up at the end of the year. Uh, but I was, it was my last year of junior unless I went back as an overager. So yeah. um, that's the advantage of being a late birth is your draft year gets pushed back by a year, which is what happened with me. And uh you know, I think uh, it was, it was a crazy week too. My, when I played my first game, I played in three leagues um, in span of five days. I, I lost in the playoffs with my junior team on the Tuesday night. Um, and then, you know, at St. Mike's. So that was my, I was playing for the Belleville Bulls. And then three, two days later, I signed with the Leafs. My, my first pro contract on the Friday, I was in St. John's playing against, I think, I think it was the Manitoba Moose. I don't even know who we were playing. Uh, and then, then Saturday I played with the Leafs. So it was, uh, it was a whirlwind week. Uh, probably, you know, one of the best weeks of my life with, with, you know, things going on and, and experiences and, um, and it all came out of the blue. I didn't know I was going to play with the Leafs till the Saturday morning when I woke up in St. John's after, you know, pretty much being out all night because it was the team's year end. You know, they yep. lost, they weren't in the playoffs. I played the game. I was out with the guys celebrating my beginning to my career and, had a phone call on my hotel room in the morning from, from the Leafs GM assistant GM, Mike Penny saying, you're on a flight here. You're playing tonight for us. Cause 
uh, the Leafs were clinched and the game didn't mean anything. So they, none of the vets on that team wanted to play. And um, the opportunity came my way. And that was, that was the start of my pro career. It was, uh, so what you're saying is you scored your first NHL goal with a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. And, and actually to top it all off, the crazy part about that is I woke up and I, I was supposed to meet uh, I missed, I, I missed the call. We didn't have cell phones back then, or I didn't have a cell phone on me all night. So I missed, uh, the GM's assistant GM's call and I was supposed to meet him for breakfast, but I, I obviously slept in and, um, met him on the plane and, and we went, we flew to Toronto and, and I didn't take, uh, I ended up wearing my contacts that night, sleeping in them and I had dailies. So I took them off for the flight in the afternoon to Toronto because it's like a two hour flight over to our flight from St. John's to Toronto. Um, so I took them off on that flight because my eyes were so dry. Um, had my pregame nap on the plane, woke up and I didn't have a, a spare set on me. And it was such a rush getting to the ACC because I landed at five that night. So I went straight to the Air Canada Center to go into the leaf dressing room. And, um, and I couldn't get my con. The problem was I couldn't get spare set of contacts because I was in such a rush to get there. So I couldn't wait for my luggage. Um, so it was like grab and go. Um, so I played that first game without <laughs> contacts on too. So it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. I was sitting beside Ed Belfort in the dressing room. I remember it to this oh. day. And, and he wasn't playing that night. Uh, Trevor Kidd was a net. And uh, I remember just, I couldn't see the who I was playing with. And, you know, because they write the lines on the board. And I was like, <laughs> so I'd, I'd have to walk up and be like, oh, I guess I'm playing with Gary Roberts and Owen Nolan tonight. <laughs> but it's, uh, but it didn't affect me that much because I'm nearsighted. So it was kind of, it was probably kind of a good thing because it kind of just, everything happened so fast. And, uh, but it's a, it's a crazy story to tell now that, that that's how it worked out. Hungover, couldn't see, scored in your first NHL, <laughs> first NHL game. Uh, tell us about the goal. Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I, I, I lost, it was actually, it was like it was meant to be. Like I, I lost the faceoff clean in the neutral zone, uh, faceoff. Uh, offside faceoff dot and uh back then which is so rare now the center is pushed through on the faceoff instead of usually your center on center after a faceoff loss and uh, so i was pushing through and um the uh, chris phillips was going d to d on his pass and I just went right up the pipe and had a partial breakaway and uh, nice. snuck at five hole on our Marty, Marty Prusak at the ACC. So uh, it was, it was special. It was, uh, you know, I think uh, looking back, it was hockey night in Canada. It was, you know, Pat Quinn was my coach. Um, it was the last season that the home team wore white jerseys. So I got my white jersey on at the Air Canada Center. It's kind of, it was just a crazy uh, sequence, uh, you know, and, and looking back, I still get um, chills watching that. That's got to be, I mean, you've, you've had a pretty long season in the league, but that's got to be up there with, with probably one of your, you know, top moments. Oh, yeah. Scoring, making the NHL is getting, well, getting drafted is, you know, it's an accomplishment and, you know, but some people don't get drafted and they make the NHL and, 
Um, but once you get there uh, and you score a goal, I think, you know, that's, it's just such a moment that you've dreamed of your whole life. Um, obviously the ultimate dreams to win the Stanley cup, but um, you control what you can. And at a young age, when you're playing in front of 20,000 people uh, yeah. at a, at a rink when, that you grew up watching, uh, you know, the team you grew up watching, um, it was, it was incredible. Surreal to, to say the least. It was um, a pinch myself moment. And uh, you know, I just, it made me want more and more. And, and uh, luckily I was able to, to put together a, a pretty special career, um, you know, that I'm thankful for. Special career, yeah. dude, I was looking at it and it's like from that draft year, you have the seventh most games played and the 10th most points of anybody in the 2002 draft in the draft year. That's, that's incredible. That's a, that's a hell of a career. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Think, yeah, I should have went higher. <laughs> yeah, no shit, eh? Well, it was funny. I'm I was just like, kidding. No, you should have for real. I mean, I think the Flames picked Eric Nystrom. No shade at Eric, but they should have. <laughs> they picked Nystrom at 10th. Come on. Come yeah. on. Well, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys. And that's the funny thing about a draft. And, and it's actually cool because my draft year is when the Leafs have their own channel. But that's when they first started their own channel. So they have behind the scenes of that draft that they've played. And... Um, it's just crazy how different teams rate different players. And, and the Leafs had me rated one pick after Alex Steen, who got picked in the first round by the Leafs that year. Right. So I was pretty close to going. That's how easily people, you know, players can go in the first round, the second round. And, you know, some teams just don't see it in you and, and you drop on their list. But, uh, you know, I, it made for a good draft for the Leafs. And, and Steener had a – he's still playing, but yeah. he's had a great career. And, and uh, you know, and Ian White was in that draft. And, um, it was a pretty good draft for the, for the Leafs. And, and, you know, you, you have relationships for, for a long time from the guys you come into the league with. So you score your first goal in your first game, you're going to next season. You played the majority of that season with the team, had a really nice season. You guys make the playoffs that year. You're playing playoff games. What's that like? And you're probably thinking things are looking pretty good for the rest of your career. Right? You're probably just like on cloud nine. Oh yeah. I'm going to be in the playoffs every year. Right. That's probably what you thought. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what, that, that is what I thought, but I, I do remember. So I played that year and um, I, I made the team uh, out of the blue. I don't think anybody was expecting me to make the team full time that next year. Um, but I made the team and, and it was very rare for Pat Quinn team to have young guys. Um, yeah. And it was still, it was still pre lockout. So there was no salary cap and, yeah. and, you know, so you weren't forced to play young guys either. So I was lucky to be on, on that team. And we had a lot of injuries. I stayed up majority of the year. I went down for, I didn't end up playing any games down, but I had to go down for a week at the trade deadline. Cause um, we were going for it. We traded for Brian Leach at the deadline, um, uh, Ron Francis. So we made some big trades at the deadline and I'm on the team as first year guy. I'm like, this is we're, you know, we have a chance at the cup here. And, and um, obviously my role diminished when we got those guys. So I was in and out of the lineup a bit down the stretch, but we had so many injuries. Oh, no one got hurt. And um, Sundin got hurt in the playoffs. So we, you know, I did still play. Um, so, yeah, but I remember vividly, you know, before the playoffs or before maybe game five or uh, one of the games in the playoffs, um, Gary Roberts saying to me, and, and I roomed with Joe Newendike too, and he, he was always – you know, these are guys that have won cups and, you know, hall of famers. And they're like, you know, don't take anything for granted. Like you don't know when you're going to be in this position um, with a team that we have, with the goalie that we have. And I, I always remembered that. So I never took it for granted. Um, 
and and of course it took me forever to get back to the playoffs after that but uh you know i, I do remember you know them telling me that because and it's so true like you, you control only so much in your career but you don't know when you're in a situation where you can um you know win a cup uh and that was looking back that was probably the best best team i was on and best chance i had and and uh you know that's first year of my career it's crazy to think do you remember where you because that was the ronick year when ronick scored in overtime i think right yeah so i i played games five six and seven in the first round against ottawa yeah. um and then and then we played philly the next round and and pat uh wasn't confident with me playing again philly was a big strong team and he uh, he was more he said you might get knocked around and he didn't say it like that but that's yeah. what, that's obviously what they were thinking and and so i was they, they ended up playing putting clark willman which he was up and down all year and more of a gritty role um for the fourth line they, they preferred him which was fine so i i didn't play much i was just kind of the next guy taking every warm-up and uh i remember ronick scoring that goal like uh and i it was it was tough because uh sundin came back late in that series we had a chance to win and um, and, and just going through everything, like Ron Francis was getting, was scratched, I think that last game too. So I remember just being with him and that was the end of his career. And, and so you kind of, you take all these moments in, that's one thing that I learned quickly is watch the people around you, watch these guys, not just what they tell you, but just kind of, you know, watch what the way they handle themselves, how they take care of themselves. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from, from seeing you know, different guys in different stages of their career just in that moment. Um, but I remember just being, I think I was in the press box. I don't even know where I was watching that game, but I just remember it was so much hype because Tucker had just hammered Kapanen, which we see all the time. He's wobbling to the bench um, in overtime and the place going nuts. But as a result of that play, what people always forget is Kapanen changed and, you know, speed wobbled to the bench, you know, not knowing where he was, but because that Ronick jumped on and got behind our D, and there was a turnover up ice and that's how he got that odd man rush that where he scored the winner so it was all in that same play which kind of sucks as good as that hit was um it kind yeah. of kind of costed us and and then rona running down the ice that's that was the end of it how quickly it ended well you would you probably would end up playing the flames in the final possibly so it, it, Pro- it, well and you would have lost. Well, so sorry. <laughs> well, that's it's crazy to think that. Well, Tampa was a good team too, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We we still would have had to go back to Philly, and, and that place was a crazy environment. Like it, that. So I, you guys know what it's like in Seattle in the playoffs. Like yeah, it's like that. Different cities. It's it's like that in every city, and, and yeah. I'd say Calgary's up there as one of the better atmospheres for playoff hockey. But there's some other really good ones. Uh, Philly is definitely up there as well. So you played, was it six or seven seasons with the Leafs? I think it was six. Six seasons. Five and a, yeah. Five and a half. Yeah. yeah. Cause you got traded in your sixth Five. year, right? So yeah. you came out to a great start. Um, putting up regularly 15 goals, 30 point seasons. Um, obviously things plateaued in the second, uh, half of that six seasons um what was your role like when you first broke in onto that team and then what did it evolve into before the trade so with toronto you're talking with toronto like early in my career yeah yeah so i i basically i i was always a two-way guy um and i i 
during the lockout after the the Flames went to the Cup final. So the next year was a lockout. So I got to play in St. John's next year, which um, that helped me so much because I was playing 20 minutes a night um, against the other team's top guys. Um, you know, and and the next year, you know, you, you get back to the NHL, new rules, hooking, no more hooking. There's tons of penalties. Um, so I just knew quickly that, you know, I had to be a two-way guy. I had to be good in the defensive zone. I never would have played as a 19-year-old in the NHL if I didn't know uh, if I costed my team in any way in the D zone. So I I, I really um, just valued that. And even as a young guy uh, in, in minor hockey, I always loved penalty killing and, and doing that sort of stuff. So it never kind of went away from me, but I definitely knew to stay at the NHL level for a long, long time. Um, you know, you do have to kind of find a role that that's that people trust you in um, because there's only going to be so many guys that play on the power play. And, and early in my career, I didn't play on the power play a lot. Uh, I was off and on maybe on the second unit, you know, here and there, but we had other young guys like Steen and Wellwood who I knew were, um, you know, a little bit more offensively skilled than I was. Um, so I just kind of learned quickly that, you know what, I'm going to have to be this checking center. And when Paul Maurice came in, I coached, he, he threw me right in that role. And we played against the other team's top line a lot of nights to, you know, free up Sundin a bit because he had such a heavy load every year. And uh, and then once once we kind of went through rebuild in Toronto and they kind of put an end to, to that era um, and Sundin left, um, my opportunity came where I played on the power play consistently. And, um, you know, I played first line minutes. I was still playing against the other team's top guys every night. Um but I was playing, you know, I was getting power play time and playing a lot of minutes. So, you know, I think that's when my offensive side, I was able to put up, you know, close to over 50 points two years in a row. Um, got to play with Phil Kessel for half a year, which helps you get over 50 points. But the year before I played with, with Pana Karaski and Antropov all year, and we, we just had a good line and we were all over 50 points and, um, you know, nothing came easy. You worked for everything, but, uh, you know, you just really, really, you know, we're, you take advantage of that opportunity and um and, and then when you get traded uh you know you don't know what the other side's thinking but you know I wanted to come into Calgary and, and do more of the same um and I am a pass first guy so I thought you know me and Iggy would maybe you know kick it off and, and do well together uh, but it just at times it worked but at times it didn't and um there was a lot of expectation after that trade as well because of who went the other way and mm -hmm. how quickly everybody in that trade kind of fell off and and got you know I, before I do it I was the only guy in town it was crazy so yeah. um it's uh it it's it's a weird situation I don't, I don't think you know I'm not going to blame any anybody or any situation but um there was definitely um tension with the Sutters and and um Brent didn't love my game when I got here and uh you know I think Daryl saw me a different way and and, and you know obviously things happened there with with Daryl leaving and then um, I had to work my way uh you know out of Brent's doghouse because I was in his doghouse I don't care what anybody says I I uh you know I had some moments where I, I played well but uh you know it, once you get those minutes taken away from you and, and then you're put on the fourth line for you know, for pretty much a year, uh, full season, um, you just gotta do your best with it. And everybody just looks at the points and, and that part of the game. So I, I wasn't living up to what my contract was paying me and, uh, you know, but by the end, I think Brent 
uh, I grew on them and, and I was playing again with Iggy and Tangay at the end of the year. We had a good run and, um, and then Brent was gone. So it's just kind of sticking with it personally. I, I think, uh, you know, I maybe, I, I definitely could have, I definitely didn't play as well as I know I could have, uh, but it was never for the lack of effort. Um, it was an adjustment getting traded. Maybe I put pressure on myself to, to put up points too. And then there's a lot of layers to that, but, um, you know, I just wanted to reinvent myself at, at that point, knowing that I'm a two-way guy, you know, I, at the end of the day, I'm at my best in, in like a checking role. I wasn't, I wasn't a first line, you know, put up over 55, 60 points a year. That just wasn't, was never me. And, uh, maybe that was the expectation when I first got traded here, but, uh, you know, looking at it, I don't think that was ever, ever the player I was going to be. And, and, um, I think once everybody realized that in Calgary and once I figured out the way I need to play, uh, I kind of won some people over and, um, you know, I was able to carve out uh, a long time here in, in Calgary. Cool. Um, yeah. It's interesting bringing up the whole Sutter thing. And then obviously you had a resurgence when Hartley came to town. Um, I mean, we, as fans on this fan podcast, we analyze a lot and a lot of the things we've spent a lot of time analyzing the last uh, two or three seasons is the coaching. Um, but obviously under new coaching under Hartley, something shifted for you personally. Um, what, what would you, can you put your finger on that? Like, was it a change in coaching style or how did it affect you? Honestly, it was the main thing was a, a new opportunity. Um, you know, I, I worked so – it had been such a tough few years. Um, and with a new coach coming in, new opportunity. Um, and, and Bob gave me gave me that opportunity to, to play more. He, You know, we played against the top, top you know, line, you know, day, every game. Um, he was using me in that checking role. And, and um, it was just the complete opposite to, the, to my usage against, you know, with Brent where I was kind of – being sheltered and just, you know, he was just kind of playing me because my contract, you know, I don't think yeah. if it was up to him, I'd even be in the lineup some night. So, um, you know, Bob just kind of, you know, he, it was just a resurgence. He gave me the opportunity and, and, and I ran with it. I, I, uh, I wanted to prove that um, I was the player I knew I was. And, and, you know, that the last few seasons weren't all just um, that wasn't me, you know, so it just kind of worked and, and, um, you know, and, and yeah, I would say those are, that's the best hockey I played in my career. Cause I was, uh, I was, you know, I, everybody looks at point totals and this and that, but, um, you know, just knowing who I was playing against every night, um, in the division we were in, you know, we, you know, Anaheim, LA, we played those guys a lot, San Jose, and I was playing against those guys, you know, they're top guys every night. Um, and, you know, to be able to, you know, if you're an even or, you know, plus minus kind of a skewed stat too, but, uh, you know, I never played any power play and, and I was able to put up, you know, 14, 15 goals the one year. And, um, you know, just kind of, you know, I felt like I was contributing, uh, by playing that role, um, in a, in a lot of ways. And it kind of, um, made me realize that this is, uh, the way my career is going to go now. And, and, um, and it did. And, uh, luckily I was, able to sign another extension and, and Berkey had faith in me to keep me around and kind of play that role. And, um, and then at the end, I just kind of knew, you know, 
backs his times here to, to be that guy. And, and I kind of said, you know what, I'm going to try to be the best fourth liner now I can be. And that's how, that's how it ended. Did you have any like reservations that first extension you signed, like shortly right after being traded to the flames? Like, were you like no hesitations or was it like you've maybe saw some problems brewing with, with the coach in town or what was that process like? Yeah. that So it happened so quickly. Yeah. And, uh, so, and, and I got a good vibe, like Daryl was great. Um, even Brent, like we, you know, I, I think when a team wants you and, you know, you're a part of a big trade like that, um, you know, you want to make it work. I, you know, and, and I liked Calgary growing up too, like obviously at least for my team, but I was, I always remember watching Calgary and, you know, obviously Jerome McGinn lives here, make a Chris Kippersov, you know, it just kind of seemed like a good fit, um, at the time. Um, so it was, it was, you know, I, I obviously have conversations with your agent and say, you know, if we go to free agency, there will be other opportunities and this is what your value is. Um, the flames are right there. So either we take this now and uh, you make this your home or, you know, we, we wait and see, right. I don't think it would have, it was just kind of a little bit of loyalty, you know, the team mm-hmm. that trades for you. I, I didn't want to be that guy that just left. And, um, you know, obviously looking back, you, you, if you saw the way things worked out, maybe it worked out differently, but I wouldn't change anything. I, I, I love the city and everything about it. And, um, you know, but those few years were tough. Was, was there another team interested in you at the time that did have more success? Um, well, that would be tampering if I, if I knew that, <laughs> but uh, um, there's definitely, you know what? I, I just look at my comparables at that time. Um, you know, Antoine Vermette and, uh, Matthew Lombardi were both becoming free agents. Those are the the top, you know, centers in the free agency that weren't top centers. I, I don't know how, how I word that depth centers, I should say. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Lombardi went to Nashville and I don't even know if it worked out for him there. Um, so it, it's, it's all a crapshoot. I'm, I'm happy with the way things, things uh, played out at the end, but at the time, definitely there's, you know, I'm talking to Berkey now. He's like, yeah. I want to keep you in Toronto. And I was like, things were going well in Toronto, but I didn't want to be, you know, just there the way things were going. Like if we're going to be rebuilding for another five, six years, like that's not fun yeah. either. But uh yeah. ended up going through that in Calgary anyways. So it was, yeah. you know, until, until we got back to the playoffs. So easy to say after. Yeah. So the, the trade itself, everybody knows that the either famous or infamous, infamous uh, FNF trade, however you want to, look at it but where were you when you got the the news how how'd that go down yeah it was just it was an off day we played uh we played the saturday night in um at home against vancouver and we lost in overtime and, and it was just sunday morning um and you get rumors you know it's 2010 so you you know just like something's going down like you hear it you know you get texts from your friends and um, but it just basically, I got a call at like, I don't even know what time it was 11, you know, uh, it was, it was a little later in the morning, maybe even might've been lunch, uh, because obviously the time changed. Um, so they wanted to let all the guys know, but I just had a call from Berkey. I actually got a call from Ian White first saying that he got traded and he said, there's more people in the trade. So let me know if you're one of them. And, uh, I ended up getting a call while I was on the phone with him, uh, you know, I'm call display or whatever and it was Berkey saying yeah we shipped you out um thanks for your services and that's kind of how it went but uh you know we were on a plane that night 
um, Ken King came to pick us up and, and, uh, we played the next night at home. It was, it was such a quick turnover. Um, it was really, it's, it's a weird, weird feeling, uh, getting traded, obviously all the emotions. And I was so invested in Toronto and being there that long. Um, but it's, uh, it's a whirlwind for sure. And looking back now, you know, it's like, I should have saw all the signs that we were going to trade because on the Saturday in the morning, we had a team meeting and, and Ron Wilson had basically went around the room, uh, giving it to guys, but he, he really gave it to the six guys who got traded that next day. <laughs> so it was all kind of calculated because there's six of us that got traded out because three guys went to Anaheim, I think as well, the same day. So, um, yeah, it's funny to look back. And it just, it, it's, it was such a weird time for the team. I remember the flames, I mean, because they had been struggling and it was just like, well, something's going to happen. And it was, even when you look back, it was such a weird time for you to be entering. It was kind of like you, you got there just as things were unraveling. It seemed like it was just at the tail end of the Aginla year. It was just when like Kipper was maybe starting to fade a little bit. It was just such a weird time. Like, do you remember being like, Oh shit, this is, this is really weird. It's like, and, and even coming from Toronto where you guys have been competitive for a while, was it like, was it tough? It was probably tough. I'm sure. It, yeah. You know what? At first I was, it was so excited because I was like, yeah, I have a chance to get to the playoffs now. Cause we, we had had two, three tough seasons in Toronto. Yeah. Um, but things are going so well personally. Like I was playing a lot. I was putting up points mm-hmm. and, um, but I was excited, you know, chance to playoffs and, and going with, you know, three other guys from my team. You know, that's what we wanted. But yeah, we came in and it was just a weird vibe. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was a weird vibe when we got here and went in the dressing room. And um, obviously, you have Jerome McGillan, Kipper right there. You're like, wow, we got some Hall of Famers here that have basically won playoff series on their own if we can get there. So it was it was kind of exciting, but it was, it was a bit of a mess. Uh to say the least, because there was, uh, you could feel friction and tension in the room. And um, obviously when the team had lost, I think nine of 10 games before that trade. So maybe it's a result of that as well. Um, And, you know, so there's a lot going on, but you're just coming in. You're not a part of that until you come in the room. And then, you know, you're trying to make a good impression with your new teammates and, and fit in. And, uh, but you have game after game coming and pressure after pressure there's so much pressure to, to win every game because playoffs are coming, but we did have that Olympic break right away, which maybe helped a bit, maybe it didn't help because, you know, you come back and, and uh, you know, just things were spiraling. So, you know, I, I honestly think we would have made the playoffs that year if, if uh, you know, Damon Lankow went down and that hurt us yeah. look, looking at it and we had traded Oli as well. So we trade Oli and then, you lose Lankow right there. You lose two of your top three centers. And um, yeah, I think backs got thrown in and um, I think David Moss at the place. I don't even know what, what the line ended up being down the stretch there, but it, it, it went, it went away quickly, but there was definitely tension in that room uh, from forwards to defense and the way the team wanted to play. And it was kind of uh, a weird situation, but it, uh, you know, it, it wasn't meant to be, you know, you hate to say it, but it wasn't meant to be. And, and, um, you know, I think uh, it would definitely was the start of everybody looks at the trade as the start of, of things spiraling. But I think, yeah, I think it was coming no, no matter what, whether yeah. that trade happened or not, because that trade happened for a reason. And that's because there obviously was tension in that dressing room. 
So kind of the question I want to ask you next is, so Jerome gets traded. I, that was, that was a tough year for everybody, but for guys like you and Mike Camilleri and Lee Stempniak and like Glenn Cross, maybe kind of going from now, like, Hey, you guys used to be the young up and comer guys. It's like now Jerome's gone. You're on this team. You guys are kind of like the veteran leaders. How much of a shift was that? Yeah, it was, it was a shift. I, I think Jerome was, was the face of the franchise for so long. And then all of a sudden he's gone. And, and you also traded Jay Bowmeister and um, Kipper was playing out that season. We all knew that he was done after that. Maybe on the outside, people didn't, but we knew in the room, he, he wasn't, he wasn't not telling us that. And uh, <laughs> so, so it was definitely, uh, you know, I, you just embrace the, you, you kind of just embrace it. it, it you know, you have to take charge and um, us guys that you just mentioned and Gio and, and, you know, whoever else the older guys were, you know, I think you, you just, you embrace that challenge and, and take charge. You had no other option um, because there was such a void to fill and, um, and we had a new coach coming in and, and we all had to get on the same page as quick as we could. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, we, we have a strong bond, all of us now, because I, I feel like we, we started the team down, down a good path, um, you know, to where they are now. And, um, you know, but it was, it was exciting in a way too, right. Cause you're, you're kind of, you're right in the ship, uh, you know, after it went down and, and all those tough years that had, had just passed. Uh, mentioning Kipper. So there's been some parallels in the fan base drawn between Kipper Sob and Riddick, just as, just as their character goes and how interesting they are. Um, are, are the two comparable in any way? Do you have any interesting stories about Kipper that might make us chuckle? Uh, I don't know how, how, yeah, well, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely, you know, Kipper's, Kipper's great. Um, the difference between him and Ritter is I played with Kipper down the stretch, you know, near the end of his career where Ritter was coming in as a rookie. So Ritter might be a bit different now than when he first came in. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, I think Kipper was, he was so good. He was, yeah. you know, he was the guy that, that he showed up. You knew what you were getting. Um, you leave him alone, let him do his own thing. And, uh, you know, he, he would joke with the guys and he would literally, some practice, he would just play stand-up the whole practice. He would literally go in the net and, and he wouldn't go down and no <laughs> one could score. No one could score on him. It was, it, it was crazy. Like he'd give everybody half the net and he would just, keep catching it with his glove and or whacking things out with his stick. And um, this guy, he was so talented um, and he could read, you know, the, the best goalies read the plays too. Like he just had such good instincts for, for, uh, for the game with reading the play. And he was really good uh, at playing the puck. I think that's an underrated part of his game that people else sometimes forget. He played the puck so well. Um, but uh yeah, it's just crazy when you see Kipper, you would, you would never think, um, you know, that he's, you know, he's the person he is, right? He, he, but he's so laid back. He likes to have fun, have fun with the guys. And then, you know, at the rank, he's, he jokes around. And then game time, you just kind of, <laughs> you know what you're going to get. He's in a stall. He's, he's focused. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard some stories about, you know, the, the cup run and, and all those years, but uh, that, that's Kipper. He just kind of did his thing. Um, nothing bothered him. You know, the guy went to Vesna and didn't show up to the, the award show. Like how many, <laughs> like, it's just his personality. He's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, I just, 
that's just the way he went about things. So it's a pretty special guy uh, and fun guy to be around for sure. So your first five seasons as a flame, no playoffs. We were just talking before you came on. It's like, we don't have a lot of memories of that, that time frame Cause you guys weren't making memories, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard as a fan to watch. I'm sure it's hard as a player to slog through those seasons. Um, but then in, in 13, 14, uh, then 14, 15 under Hartley, Johnny Gaudreau comes on the scene and there's new life brought into the franchise. Um, what was it like the transition from kind of a team that's going through the rebuild and, you know, the seasons are long or tough and then the rebuild starting to show its effects and Johnny Gaudreau comes in followed by Sean Monaghan. Um, what was it like kind of going through that process for you? Well, it was, yeah, it was, it was exciting because, um, and luckily I got to see it through um, until we got back to the playoffs and, you know, obviously you wish you could see it right through to, to Stanley cup, but it, you know, it was, it was kind of, um, you know, I think so much and people, you know, it takes a team to, to do well, for sure. You can rely on, you need your top guys being your top guys, but there was so much, you know, Kipper covered so much for this franchise and, and Iggy, you know, pulled so much weight. So when those guys left, it was kind of like, okay, we need everybody. It was such an emphasis on everybody better pull their weight. Everybody better do their part if we want a chance at winning, you know, any game. You know, so every night it was just like this, this, you know, every man, you know, has to buy in and, and you know, we can beat any, but we can conquer anything. And and that's kind of what we we tried to do. And and I think we we everybody thinks we played it over our heads that that first year or the first year we lost um, Kipper and, and Iggy, you know, I think we, I don't even know where we finished, but we, I think, we, you know, we were picked to finish dead last and we um, might've been better if we finished dead last, depending who we got in the draft. But, you know, I think we, we ended up, you know, shocking teams and, and, you know, we obviously weren't going to have to make the playoffs, but we, uh, we played well and we even had injuries to Geo that year. And, and I just remember us, you know, we we're like, you know what, we, we can win if everybody buys in. And then the next year you get some, high-end talent like Johnny Goudreau and, and Sean Monahan coming into his own and and Bax is really coming on and and before you know it you know we we had confidence that we could beat anybody any night and it was just kind of nothing to lose attitude and um yeah. and it it uh you know it went uh you know in 2014 2015 it kind of you know that that sparked us and we we played well and even after losing I think eight games or something in a row before Christmas you know, we still were able to make the playoffs and even with Geo going down for the season, it was just kind of this all, all in mentality. And, and um, it was, it was nice to, to, to establish that and see that through to the playoffs and then, um, you know, carry it on. Obviously there's some blips and, you know, with the year after, but uh, you know, it's all part of the process. Yeah. We got to talk about the game six goal, obviously. Um, and I, I hate when people ask this question because it's like, well, if you ask a player what they're thinking when they're scoring a goal, they're just going to say, I don't know. I just shot the puck. Right. But I just remember that, that goal in game six, you scored so vividly Furlan misses it. And that puck comes to you and you just control it. And it's just, it, it felt for that like split second that like the entire history of Matt Stajan and this Calgary Flames fan base kind of like flashed before my eyes. And it was like everything that had happened had led up to that moment. And you buried that puck. Was there anything going through your mind other than I just got to bury this shit. And then obviously like, what was that feeling like, like right after? Cause that that's obviously one of the biggest goals of franchise history that you scored. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a hard feeling to describe. You know, honestly, scoring any goal right. in the NHL, it, it's such a good feeling, and, and you know, it's it's you know, it's hard to explain it. But you know, to be in that situation and score that goal, it's uh, you know, it was it was unbelievable. And, and um, you know, funny fact is that I wasn't feeling well that day. I was drinking Pedialyte's all day, and <laughs> couldn't you know, I was kind of you know running on fumes and and. Um, and we were playing against um, the Sedins that series with Ferland and, and Jones, my line mates. And so you know, our job was to try and just shut those guys down and give give our team a chance. But we, uh, you know, we, were, we we scored some big goals in that series. And, and that play, I was just trying to, you know, stay above the puck, um, you know, in the neutral zone. And, you know, we, you know, we created the turnover there by staying above those guys. And, um, yeah, watching Jonesy go wide and just kind of, you know, snap one on net and Ferland drive through, I was just like, I got to make sure I'm the safety valve here, stay high. And, um, obviously you, you follow the play to the net. And, um, when you see the puck bounce out to you like that and bodies flying in front of you, you're just focused on, uh, you know, putting this back on net, um, you know, and trying to pick your spot and it, uh, it was bouncing and I, I kind of took a second to cradle it. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah, I couldn't couldn't uh, paint it out any better than that. You know, I kind of saw top right, top left corner, and um, it ended up going like right in the elbow. You know, to say, you know, it was just kind of one of those feelings. And you just heard the crowd erupt. It was crazy. Coming back the other way, we've talked about Ryan Miller's inability to hold on to the rebounds. Twice he had a chance. Three players come back defensively and over-pursue the rebound down there. And credit Stajan for taking an extra second. You know, I still get chills thinking about it and, and watching those clips. It's uh, you know, That was the biggest moment for sure in my career, and, and um, it was a special one. I literally have chills right now. I'm just listening to you describe it. So, <laughs> yeah, and and just that the way that game went to being down oh, three nothing, yeah. and you know, I remember walking into the game that night, and uh, it was like two hours before the game, or maybe an hour and a half, and you'd go, you know, get your stick to tape, or just do your routine before the game, play soccer with the guys before, and you'd already hear the fans cheering, chanting "Go Flames, Go!" in the crowd. It was like I think it was a party all day leading up to that game, so. It was a wave of emotion. We were down three nothing pretty quickly there, but uh, fortunately, the the game ended up being a classic, and we were able to come back. That must be the loudest you remember the dome, just be, even in that one moment, and knowing that because you scored the goal, I can can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a good feeling, especially all the the tough times that we had. You know, the first four or five years um, as a team, and, and personally with. Uh, with the team so it, it was it was a special moment and, and you know even when you watch the video and you 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 know I don't think it, you could even tell how loud it was um but when you see the camera shaking you know in the clips a little bit you know it's loud because that's uh <laughs> that's not just the camera man that's that's the place uh you know the roof about to come off so uh but I never lost sight of you know there's three minutes left I was like yeah there's still you, you know you just still got to finish this yeah, out so exactly. I, you know the the moment was was so special but uh after the game when when we won yep. and that's when it really like okay that was the moment stood and uh exactly. we're gonna celebrate that yeah i'm so happy that that you were the guy 
Um, because like you mentioned, you alluded to it. Times were tough before that. And I know there was a lot of um, scrutiny on you from media fan base and whatever, whatnot. Um, but rest assured, you'll always go down as a, as a hero um, in the fan base, regardless of what happened before or after that time. Well, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, it's like, it's like social media. Everybody has their own opinion on everything now. So uh, it is what it is, but I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very happy with, uh, you know, you give it your all every night. I never, I don't think I ever could say I, I didn't give it my all. Even when times were tough, I never was not trying. So um, I don't leave the game or leave any season where I'm like, man, I could have did better. Um, obviously you could have did better, but it wasn't for the lack of effort. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, like, what are your thoughts on this, on the current team? Um, yeah, you've, the, the core that, you know, everybody talks about on this team, you played with everybody. It's still kind of the same core. Um, you got to see Matthew Kachuk come in as a rookie. Um, where do you see this team now in terms of how they compete? They're going to be in an all Canadian division. Um, what do you think is going to happen this season and like does it does this team have what it takes to to have some success in the playoffs yeah well i i think so i think that the team's been through ups and downs and you know a lot of them um you know even the the seasons where you don't make the playoffs after you're in the playoffs and you know the, the tough seat the tough series with anaheim when we got swept you not know, that it's uh, these guys should be pissed off and and ready to prove themselves and and um, there's a lot of scrutiny now in, in the media saying that, you know, they don't have it or, you know, they need um, changes and, and this and that. But as a player, like that should drive you. And um, I, I think, it, it, you know, every guy should be motivated to prove people wrong. And that's that use that as your your to your advantage. So hopefully uh, they can uh, get back and, and, and um, prove themselves that they can do the job and um, you know, I like, you know, they brought in uh, Markstrom, who's obviously one of the best goalies in the league. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. It's 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 so hard to tell because there's been so much time off. And, yeah, you know, these games are played with no atmosphere right now without fans. And it'll just be interesting how, how, how it ties in and how the team comes together. Because, you know, you did lose TJ Brody, who, who uh, I – thought and think it was a big part of that that decor is you know whether he's playing with Gio or Laura I thought he he you know he ate a lot of important minutes that uh people hopefully um won't miss too much but uh you know I think you know the, it'll be how the new guys come in and, and the team meshes uh, year to year it's it's so different and you know yeah. the chemistry you have with the coaching staff and and, and everybody it's just kind of the big puzzle, right? So yep. there's no way of knowing for sure, but I, uh, you know, the, the opportunities there for the guys and, and uh, everybody's going to have their own opinion, but hopefully they're, they're antsy to, and eager to, to, to make, make this all right and prove everybody that's, that's doubting them wrong. I mean, we always, we hear a lot how fun this room is, how well the guys get along together. So you figure throwing a few more Swedes in the mix shouldn't hurt that. Eh? <laughs> yeah, you've, I don't think there's any. I don't think you could say anything bad about any Swede. Any Swede I've played with, they've been been good teammates and good people. So, uh, yeah, that's. But you know what? Looking back, every every room you play in throughout your career, like you have memories of that. You know, they're for the most part. You, you know, obviously there's tension in some rooms, as we talked about, um, but it doesn't make it a bad. You know, guys are still getting along. So. Um, 
people sometimes make too much of, of that part where, you know, everybody gets along. I think, you know, most teams, I'd say all teams get along. There's just maybe one or two guys that maybe would say differently and, and can disrupt that. Have you heard from any of the players in terms of that whole, there's no atmosphere in the rinks, um, how they cope with it? Do they notice it? Does it play an impact in their game? Do you know? Yeah, they, they you know, the guys I thought, they, they said it was basically, you know, after the first game or first few shifts, you're just, you're dialed in. Um, it's, it's kind of like anything. It's like people ask the first time you play in front of 20,000 people, you know, aren't you nervous? Well, yeah, when you think about it before, but once you're out there playing it, there's no difference. Um, obviously the chirping is, is, uh, they should have a pay-per-view where people can listen on the chirping. Cause I think that'd be yeah. quite entertaining for people. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, they say the chirping is loud and clear. So, um, that doesn't get brushed out, but when you're playing, even with crowds, the chirping's there, you, you know, you just, if you get chirped, you're, you look around to see if anybody heard it, but now everybody's going to hear it. So. Totally. Well, last, last one from me. Are you good, Jordan? Yeah. Last one yep. for me before we let you yep. go. We really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. I mean, I just want to ask you this because I know you are an, you were an active PA guy. Um, I know you were the rep in Calgary and I think you were in Toronto too. Um, do you think this season, do you think this is going to get done? Like, is this, this is probably going to get done, right? We're going to be seeing hockey real soon, right? I think so. I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's too much at stake and, and especially now I don't see it going sideways. Um, I was a little worried a few weeks ago when they were still talking financials. Cause yeah. obviously, you know, I've been through two lockouts, missed a full yeah. season early on and then which still bothers me because mm-hmm. uh, that team in Toronto, we would have had Brian Leach for another year. We lost Brian yeah. Leach. <laughs> yeah. hey, but, how do you uh, think we feel? We would have had another year of peak Jerome. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Um, yeah. Maybe we would have met in the finals that next yeah. year. Yeah. But uh, you know what? It's the, the fine. And it's so frustrating for people to, and even now being removed from it, it's like, what are these guys fighting over? Like it's billions mm-hmm. of dollars and millions of dollars. But uh still this you know factor where you are a partnership but uh you know i think there's still a lot at stake where you know you're gonna have people are gonna take as much as they can right and and try and get as much as they can and um that's just the way it will probably always will be no matter what and uh you know the fans and people watching might have to miss some time at times which sucks but it's uh that's business at the end of the day it's a big business right yep okay my final question um (laughs) All Canadian division, just give me a quick thought on that. And where do you see the flames finishing in the, in this series season? In yeah. I looked at it. The, yeah. I looked at it the other day. Um, I honestly, I think the Leafs are, are on paper, you know, the, the, the team to beat in the division. Um, but I think Calgary is right there. I think they're, they're going to be in the two spot. Um, if I was to put some, my gambling cap cap on, I'd say it'd be, you know, Toronto, Calgary, and then, uh, you know, you could, I think Edmonton is going to be decent too with, uh, you know, they got two of the best players in the game. So um, we'll see though. I, I, you know, I, the four, and then I think Montreal, those are the four teams I think are going to make the playoffs of the group. I think Vancouver is going to be an interesting one to watch just, uh, but yeah. they, you know, we'll see. I think there's no guarantee for anybody. It, it's, it's, I'd say it's probably the toughest one of, of all the divisions. Maybe the, the one with Boston and Pittsburgh might be a little tougher, but those two divisions are 
yeah, if I'm an owner or player on that team, I'm like, why are we in this division? It's uh, <laughs> it kind of sucks for Calgary because I felt their division oh, yeah. finally they were, you know, yeah, you, you, those teams, those teams in California were finally, yeah. you know, not not top of the league anymore. Finally beatable, yeah. yeah. All right, cool, cool, man. Well, thanks for joining us. I know you do a lot of stuff with the Flames alumni. Um, it's pretty cool. You call Calgary home, so we really appreciate you taking. I know we went a little overtime, so we appreciate. Oh, it's it, fine. Best you guys can edit out. To you and the <laughs> yeah, fa- best wishes to you and the family and um, whatever you decide to do. I hope, honestly, your perspective on hockey and the intermissions is great. I think you'd be a very valuable asset to the hockey community if you do stick to media. Just throwing that out there, but best wishes, whatever you do. We should yeah. get you and Steger on at the same time so you can. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Guy, guy, right. guy, ask, we can ask him what, what the difference is with <laughs> his career. He's like, oh, he won two cups, but. Oh. He, he, he has said to me, he's like, yeah, there's a little bit of luck in where you, where you play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah showing like, up with Taves and Kane, as opposed to showing up yeah. with, uh, geez, who was he, <laughs> who was even on our team back then? I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, but you know why he, Tim he, Jackman in Tom Costopoulos. Oh, those are my line mates. <laughs> I know. Old, That's right. <laughs> old, old, old Sutsy put me with those guys for, and they were awesome, but we were, uh, yeah. We were stuck, but th- that's the thing. Like, so, so that season, I didn't even mention this. So when we traded Oli, like there was, who do we get? Code leak. Like oh, there's yeah. so many, so many layers, Higgins, like we had totally so layers. Higgins, like, yeah. So, so many guys came in and then the next year we lost everybody. Like Higgins left, Code yeah. leak fell off. He got sent to the minors. Hagman fell off. It was just kind of like, you know, I don't know. And I kind of took the brunt of it with Brent <laughs> and I got buried. So it was kind of, uh, yeah, it is what it is, but yeah, it was fucking Sutter's, eh? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I like, I actually have met, saw Brent Saints and like, even at the end of his, his day, I was like, finally, like you, you believe in me, like his end, my end of the year meeting. He's like, you, he goes like, I'm proud of you. You've, you've overcome a lot, like from where you were. And I was like, yeah, well, gave me an opportunity. And then, and then he got fired two weeks later. I was like, ah, <laughs> but, but it, it ended up, it ended up working out because, because obviously Bob put me in a position to, to take off. So, all right. I won't cool, bore you guys anymore. You Dude, guys are you day. kidding me? <laughs> Thank, thanks so much. We appreciate it, Matt. You're the best. Thanks, all man. Right. All right. Peace. See ya. Okay. Take care. There you have it, folks. Uh, Matt Stajan. We already knew this guy was a beauty, but he's such a beauty. Easily one of the nicest flames I, I can recall, you know? Like, like, do we think we need to go to, like, we got to take some sort of personal development course to become better human beings? Is it every time we have a guest on, it just, it makes us put in perspective of fucking, we're just assholes. Yeah, totally. 100%. <laughs> Like, uh, it's, yeah, it's bad. Well, maybe we should make a new year's resolution or something to not be, well, it's the other thing too. Like, I think I said this once after the Dallas series where I was going on an insane rant. It's like, I'm not crazy outside of hockey stuff. Right. Like it's true. Yeah. It's we're not true. like this in real life. We're, yeah, no, we're actually, yeah. we're actually very, uh, we're, we're good people in real life. Yeah, when it comes true. to a fan of a hockey team, my God, we're the just thing, like you. We're just yeah, like you. Exactly. <laughs>
The thing that was interesting that I think he was talking about <clears throat> was like those Leafs. Like I, I kind of forgot he played so much with the Leafs. Like it, it always feels like he maybe played one or two seasons there. But he spent a good chunk of time there. He was there during the Kessel years, and it is such a weird thing to look at, like how, how many points he was putting up with that team and then coming to Calgary and it was just like totally opposite. Right. And I think yeah. the thing that I, I really took away from what he's talking about, Brent Sutter, not playing him to his strengths. Like how much do we hear guys talk about that? And how much have we harped on that? It's like, you, if you have guys with certain skill sets, you got to play them to their strengths. Like he was saying, he's a two way guy. He shouldn't have been playing. Like, like he, he said he thrived in those moments playing on the penalty kill and stuff. And like a guy like Brent Sutter denied him that opportunity and he suffered for it because it's like, Put him in a position to succeed. Well, and I mean, I'm getting sick of fuck. I'm getting sick of it because you have, look, this is why we're always in defense of the players for like 95% of our podcast. Exactly. We usually point the finger to management, to personnel. If you, Listen, if you don't have the team it takes to win, whose fault is it? It's not the players. They're doing the best they can, right? And sometimes it's as easy as player utilization. Maybe we're not, I don't know. Like maybe as a coach, it's harder than it seems, but from a fan base, when you're watching every single game, it doesn't seem like it. Like just put the guys out there that should be out there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe it's harder if you're a coach because you got all this skill and you got a management, but I don't know. I guess that's what separates, you know, good coaches from great coaches. Like we had Verstigo on last week and he said straight up, Quinville's the best gambler in the league, but you don't become the best gambler just out of sheer luck. You're not lucky hundred yeah. percent of the time there's you're following your intuition. You're following logic and you're betting on that. You're not betting on just guessing that Versteeg's going to, you know, join the top line and, and put out like he does. So I think it comes down to coaching. It seems to be the theme that we're starting to pick up on here. So we should mention though, like we did some, we did some terrible math on the last one. I just, we just okay. wanted to mention <laughs> the last podcast. I was up all night. Couldn't sleep the night before. I thought there was a burglary going on, <laughs> which it wasn't. I was, I've been watching too many uh, cold case files, but um, yeah. So there's not eight game, but there's only, there's not seven opponents in the Canadian division. There's only six. So our math is wrong. I don't know how they're going to organize that, but it sounds like you're probably going to get a minimum of nine games per team and upwards to 10 games for some teams in the division. So we might see the Edmonton Oilers as much as 10 times, not eight. So if you follow that podcast, just when you're listening to our predictions, when you're listening to our predictions in terms of uh, what the records are going to be, just kind of factor in there's an extra two games. The, the, the overall winning percentage is pretty much the same. So anyways, thanks to Matt Sajan. That was fun. He's very nice guy and he lived he lives he's part of the flames alumni they do a lot of stuff did you see jelena the flames alumni were out the other day it was him jelena and i think glenn cross and Jel- they're all wearing their retro jerseys jelena okay. was jelena was wearing his game worn stanley cup final away jersey you posted that and i looked i'm like i can't recognize anybody the only person i recognized was jelly with the masks on I the only reason i, I knew is because they i could kind of see their numbers a little bit but okay, yeah, yeah. dude how sweet is that jersey Come on. The white, the white, the white one. Yeah, Anyways. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed uh, Matt Stajan, and we will see you in a few days for the next one. We've got hockey talk. Those are the moments you're a sports fan for. Um, those are the moments 
where you know you're down three nothing and the team has this amazing comeback and the guy who you want who you really are thinking this needs to be the star of this team has a hat trick we've got beer it has a unicorn on the can an easy drinking beer that's just delicious we want to help you understand the sport you love better what kind of things are you looking for to understand the game better? What you know? What's a couple of things someone who's watching the game at home when things start up here in a few weeks, or if they're watching college hockey, what's going on right now? What kind of things would they be looking for to try and understand the game better, or what's happening in the game, that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question, and I think it's it's something that's evergreen. Um... Listen to Jackets Debrief, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, and available wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.